Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Thanks for listening to Food for Thought, everyone. Ever heard this one? My great-grandfather came to America, worked hard, provided for his family, and never took anything from anyone. End quote. I've been told this numerous times at the start of a conversation about food insecurity. The not-too-subtle point is those who are poor on assistance should work harder, solve their own problems, and not make the rest of us support them. And if they do take benefits or assistance, they are not strong enough, smart enough, or hardworking enough. They are what we in this Western culture abhor most, a bootstrap culture. They are weak. Pick yourself up by your own bootstraps is the phrase we've heard most of our lives. God helps those who help themselves is repeated so emphatically You would think that it's embedded in some of faith's holiest scriptures. It isn't. Bootstrapping to coders and computer nerds means to start up and run a program independent external input, pretty much like what our Western culture respects and expects most out of its individuals. We love our pioneers, entrepreneurs, and those who are ridiculously good at what they do. We listen to Warren Buffett, poor as a church mouse when he started, but now so magnificently rich, we treat him like he is E.F. Hutton embodied. We hang on every word of a master craftsman like Tom Brady, who famously wasn't selected into the fifth round of the NFL draft and yet is arguably the best player to ever play the game of football. America loves her overcomers. The ones who defy the odds, the Rockies of our world. But we aren't too fond of the ones who continue to struggle. I'm talking about the ones who struggle to survive, not thrive. The ones who, even though they've done things right, yet still struggle with more month than money. The ones who continue to go to work every day, every shift, knowing it will not be enough. The ones who eat less so their child can have more. The ones who struggle to think about asking for help, accepting help, because we make it a shameful thing in America, rather than an attribute of a society that cares about all of her citizens. Today, I have new heroes. I am defining courage differently than I have before. It is the ones who keep working, keep striving to do right things right, and yet know that no matter how hard they work this week, it won't be enough. Honestly, I am not sure how they do not allow the grip of depression that comes from their financial insecurity or the toxic stress brought on by their food insecurity to overtake them and try to find comfort or relief from something somewhere. Those who have not experienced this life situation can easily buy into the two very seductive lives of the bootstrap culture. These lives argue against any need to be dependent, and they bolster the independence that tends to attract us all. And the first lie is the lie of autonomy. Autonomy tells me that I'm an 
an independent being with the right to do what I want to do, when, where, and how I want to do it, even the right to ignore. The second lie is the lie of self-sufficiency. This lie tells me I have everything within myself to be what I am supposed to be and to do what I'm supposed to do. As a licensed professional counselor, I can state with complete confidence that we are made, designed for interdependency. We are supposed to help one another. We are supposed to take care of one another. It is Maslow's third level in his hierarchy of need, community, belonging, and it's up to us to make it so. We'll start by changing the world and believing that it can be changed. We'll start by changing the world by believing with Jerry and I that it is possible and help us change the conversation about what's possible with creating food security across Michigan and relieving the pressure to persevere alone. Jerry and I will be right back here on Food for Thought. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson. Jerry, always great to have you in the studio. And it's great to be here once again. And today we're very happy to have Cindy Estrada, our friend and colleague in this great work. And Cindy, welcome to Food for Thought. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. Now, let me make sure I get this right. You are serving as the vice president and director of United Auto Workers General Motors. Yes, General Motors Department. So um, we've had a couple of really great conversations about some of the struggles and challenges that some of our folks are, are having while they're working. And one of the things that we highlight on the show, and Jerry's done a great job of doing that, is... Um, you know, all the way back into the 19, early 1980s when Reagan was elected president, he said the best social uh, program is a job. Right. And there was a connection between being food secure and being full-time employed. And now there is a disconnect between those two. It's just not as true as it was 30, 40 years ago. And I know you're you're right in the middle of this. Yes, I'm pretty passionate about this because I've organized um, auto parts workers for most of my career in the UAW since I think I was around 25 years old. And what I've seen over time is that there's so many workers in the parts sector um, in manufacturing that are actually working full-time jobs, yet they're working full-time jobs at poverty wages and walking into food stamp lines. So it's quite tragic because they're... um, you know, they're putting in a full day's work, but they can't put food on the table for their families. And, you know, one of the things that that we realize because, you know, they're walking into SNAP and food and, uh, and food stamps and also to, f- to our pantry network where they're receiving food because they're, you know, there's there is that disconnect is how m- discouraging it is to know that you're getting up and going to work and you're working hard. And, and at the same time, you realize it's not enough. Well, I think it's even bigger than that. It's not just discouraging. It's, you know, talk about someone's dignity, right? They're putting in a full day's work, right. and they know that that's not enough to, to feed their children. And then on top of it, what's even more 
sad is that they're being vilified as workers who are collecting or as people who are collecting food stamps when a vast right. a large number of people are working and having to collect food stamps. So I think they're just there's a whole emotional toll on someone's psyche when that happens. Absolutely. Um, it's discouraging. It it it's 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 just so sad and tragic. It it is. And it, I think when someone does everything they're supposed to do, right? right. So they, right. they get enough education, they get job training, they get up in the morning, they figure out transportation, they're getting their kids to school, they're doing everything they're supposed to do, and yet if they don't work 120 hours based on uh, what a minimum wage would be, if they don't work 120 hours a week, they cannot make ends meet. And it's one of the things and key learnings from the self-sufficiency standard that was just done in Michigan, 120 hours. Now, if you're taking care of kids at all, (laughs) where do those 120 hours come from? I mean, now maybe you can work 16-hour days you know, seven days a week. But but fundamentally, if you care about your children, they need your time too. So you're doing everything you can. You're still not making ends meet. I want to make one other point here too. Wages are certainly part of the issue, but health care is a huge part of this issue. It is a lot more expensive to be treated for health care now than it was 30 years ago when the best social program was a job. Yeah, and that's because we have to look at the health of an individual. And when someone is working that much, you're physically, spiritually, emotionally drained. Hmm. Um, it has an, a toll on your health. And so, you know, we have to start looking at the health of the individual and everything that go that surrounds a person to make sure that someone's healthy. And one is a job. One is a safe job, but one is also making sure that you have a job where you can actually put healthy things into your body. And so, but I think it's, it's even larger than that. I think that um, we're looking at a country right now, and I think we saw it in this last election, the frustration of the average working person is, um, you know, we're living in a country, I just read an article the other day, eight people, I think when we met last time, I said it was nine people. Well, now it's eight people own right. as much wealth as the poorest 50% of the global economy. So think about that. Eight people own as much as 50% of the poorest people on humanity. And that is wow. very frightening. So this isn't that there's not enough income out there, that that there's not enough um, wealth out there to make sure that people can work and have a full-time job. It just, we have to change policy in this country. Well, that's why we did the self-sufficiency standard, to give us a baseline to define the problem. Okay, here's, if we know that a a single parent with a a preschool and a school-aged child, and, and I use that example because uh, childcare is so expensive in the state of Michigan. Not the most expensive in the United States, but one of the top most expensive states that we have. And so if you take a single parent with a, a preschooler and a school-aged child, and we know that to be to have a living wage, they need to make $20, $21 an hour, and they're in a job that they're, they're making 12 well, we know we have an $8, $9 an hour gap. Now, how are we going to fill that? And the policy has to be a part of that conversation where we create policies in legislation that reward people for their industry and work, not vilify them or punish them right. for it. And, you know, I just want to say that even $12 an hour is high. I mean, we're in the in the National Employment um, Law Study that, you know, I had showed you right. a, a year or so ago, you know, 600,000 manufacturing workers are making 960 
or um, or less, right? Right. I mean, think about that. They're working full-time in auto and in other manufacturing jobs. I mean, this is a real crisis in our country. Um, and if you if you put that up against 1% of the, um, you know, of the population own 50% of the global wealth, and I mean, I think this is doable. We can fix this, but it... It, we have to acknowledge the problem. Exactly. we got to change the conversation. Right. And that's what we're doing here on Food for that's Thought. That's why I'm glad to be here. Uh, well, we're glad to have you. We're going to continue with Cindy Estrada, Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here. We'll be back on Food for Thought in just a moment. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. We're back on Food for Thought. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson and our very special guest, Cindy Estrada, who is Vice President, Director for UAW General Motors. Thanks for being in the WJR studio. I need to come here more often. Yeah, I would love it. <laughs> we love it. So, Jerry, you are—you behaved yourself very well in that first segment. So, Which I'm, is so unusual anyway. But, you know, and because we've talked to Cindy on a number of occasions about the issues that we're facing, and, and when we talk about who really cares to help solve this, Cindy, you always rise to the top and and we enjoy our conversations because of your passion for wanting to help people and make this community better so thank you for that um now after that first segment what struck me right away was three words competitiveness quality and profit and i know that you have spent your career understanding those things on many different dimensions and really helping to drive success for the auto business but also for the people working in it and my fear is that we have to be mindful of issues like food insecurity and how that in, that has been increasing among the workforce because if we want to stay competitive, if we want to continue to have good quality and make profit, we have got to address this issue. So I'm going to throw that to you and say, what do you think about that? Well, you know, in our plants, I mean, we are always focused on quality, competitiveness, um, and, and efficiency in the plant. And the workers step up to the plate because they know that that's important to their job. But when you're looking at workers who are working, again, 10, 12 hours a day, making, you know, nine sixty or less or $12 or anything that makes them walk into a food stamp line, you know, there is a problem in terms of how are they emotionally, spiritually, and physically fit to walk in and be able to, to build that product in a way that is going to bring the most quality and the most efficiency. So so I think, again, it's the whole person. It ain't just the mm-hmm. physical and the food, but it's what happened when you're food insecure with, you know, sort of spiritually and, and mentally. And so, and I, you know, I'm a firm believer. I, I'm, I, I'm a vice president of a union and, and I'm, I am and do this work because I believe that democracy in the workplace is just as important as democracy in our country. And I think the ability for workers to sit across the table and negotiate for wages and benefits is a healthy thing for our country. Right. Um, negotiations is healthy for everyone because everyone has a voice at the table. And so I think that has to be a part of the solution, too. I know in the in the places where workers have a union, their wages and their benefits and their health is better than people who don't. Um, there's a lot of fear about unions. Um, but, you know, there, unions, when you put workers at the table, you're always going to have the best quality. You're always going to have the best efficiency. It takes management and workers working together and all feeling good when they walk away. Right. It, you know, it's just, I mean, I do this every day, but it's still such a shock to me that in this country that there is this disconnect between uh, a person who is making uh, like you said in in the first segment i used the example of twelve dollars an hour and really we're in an article that that you shared with me about producing poverty 
they're not even making $12 an hour. And so the, this idea of a living wage, and then it quickly jumps into uh, the idea of a minimum wage and what that should be. And one of the purposes for the self-sufficiency standard was to inform that conversation because politically people will attach themselves to a dollar figure, say it's 12 or $15 an hour, and and we don't know who that works for where. It's not like that's a cure-all. And those are some of the conversations that we have to be willing to have and sit at the room and use democracy in action that you talk about. And I think we have to, you know, part of that conversation is also, you know, the living wage, um, it's workers at the table. I think it's also we have to look at the fact, and I'm going I'm to continue to say it, that 1% own as much as 50% of the poorest global, globally, right? right? And so there is, a, the, the money is there. It's that how do we um, negotiate a way where everyone can survive. And disposable income is so incredibly important to local businesses, yeah. right? When workers are doing better, not just are they eating better, but they're spending money locally in the economy. And and we can't forget that piece. What's the best way? My dad was a small business owner. It happened to be a bar. But what was when did he do his best? He did his best when there were auto workers who had union jobs, who were making really good money and could spend money in the local community. When those auto plant jobs went away or when wages went down, my dad's local business suffered. And that is, you know, it, it all, everyone needs to be at the table when we're talking about this local business, right. local chambers of commerce, community organizations, you know, people involved in healthcare, you know, um, unions, working people. And so, and I've just, I've seen when everyone's come to the table, how it can be successful. It's not easy. It's hard. There's a lot of tough discussions, um, right. but it's possible. Well, that's exactly what we want this show to be the catalyst for this conversation about how do we create food security across the state? And again, it has to include the policy discussion about how do we create legislation, therefore policy, then practices that reward people for working instead of de-incentivize work. Because we know in this state, people who make $11.50 an hour fall off the benefits cliff. They're no longer eligible for any benefits whatsoever, not childcare, not housing, not food, nothing. And so we drop them off a cliff then, and they get in a job maybe making 12 or $13 an hour, and they go, heck, I was a lot better off making $11 an hour and keeping my benefits. Well, what kind of policy then that is structured that de-incentivizes work? Well, you know, here's the thing, though. I think it's also going to take people in their communities like they did this last election are going to start standing up and speaking up louder because it, we know it's the policy question, but when is the policy going to change, right? When Actually, when you have 1% owning as much as 50%, there's a lot of lobbyists, and you see it in the tax plan that's coming up, right? Right. Um, and that's not the conversation that needs to happen. So, you know, my fear is that people are getting angrier and angrier, you know. Um, mm -hmm. when, when you have to make a choice between feeding your children, you know, it uh, people are pretty desperate out there. And, um, and I just hope that we can continue to move that discussion uh, because what's happening is there's a lot of division and a lot of hatred that I think is misplaced sure. instead of talking about the real issues. So um, I think what you're doing is so incredibly important to keep moving this um, so that people understand how really um, desperate it is out there, right? right? Um, families, and they showed us this last election, they're angry. Um, and they still feel like people aren't listening, and, and particularly the, you know within the legislature and policy. Yeah, they, that, that's exactly where that, that anger is focused. And I mean, you can't blame it. I mean, if you're having to make it a choice between, okay, I'm not going to eat today so that my child can have food. Or that's, I'll, that's, I'll give you an example. In the city of Detroit, waters were, water was being shut off, right? Um, and when they put the door knockers on 
to tell them if you don't pay your water bill, you're going. Now, these are people making 960 if they even have a job, but a lot of working people. And when the door knockers went on that, if you don't pay your um, water, then um, you're going to be shut off. A whole bunch of people paid. Some people thought, oh, well, they paid because they always had the money and they could pay. No, I talked to workers who are making choices between whether or not they get their children food or pay their water bill, whether or not they pay for medication for their children or their el- or the elderly or they pay their water bill. And wow. so there's what, you know, whether or not, you know, they get their kids um, socks. I mean, these are they weren't paying because they had the money and they were stuffing it in their pocket. They were making tough choices that impacted their families to make sure the water's turned on in their house. Yeah, those trade-offs between rent and utilities and food and and to a larger and larger degree, health care, right? Those trade-offs people are making every month. And so when we look at the tools we have in our tool bag, we certainly know we've got to be out there working the political process, working uh, neighborhood to neighborhood to get people to vote for what's in their best interest. We know that's part of the political process. It's important. And let's just be real. People suffered to get that right. right. And I mean, they worked hard, right? So hard work is part of the future no matter what path we go. But if we know people are in an environment where their life is chaotic between making choices that affect them negatively, no matter what choice they make, right? So they can say, I'm going to pay my water bill. Now what? Right? I'm not going to eat as much or I'm not going to pay my rent. So in other words, what is the positive benefit of whatever choice they make? When you make every choice negative, it sends people into a downward spiral that is not good for anybody. Right. Yeah. So we've got to come take a break really quick here, and we'll be back. This is Food for Thought. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and our guest is Cindy Estrada today. We'll be right back in just a moment. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson and our guest, Cindy Estrada. And Cindy, um, you know, some of the things that that our conversations lead me to think about is uh, some of the folks that you are working with and represent that are not making a living wage, but yet are giving. And I know, like, some of the volunteers that you have through your locals are investing their handful of life in food banks. And, and I mean, they might be people who would really need the services of food bank, and yet here they are volunteering and giving their time to a food bank to help yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. Our members are amazing. Um, you know, a lot of them understand, especially in the parts you can only rate. You know, they bargain and they get their wages as high, but they don't want it to get flipped to a non-union shop where the wages are really low. So there's a real balance when they're doing this sure. bargaining. It's not about getting what they deserve because if they got what they deserve, it'd be a lot more. Um, right. But they have to balance that competitiveness of a non-union shop. But these same workers um, are out there in their locals. I've seen them. Um, help do you know stuff for Thanksgiving and giving out food. I've seen them, you know, give to the United Way in, in ways that I know is not easy for them. I've watched workers put together backpacks, um, whether it's a Ford worker, a GM worker, a Chrysler worker, backpacks for kids mm-hmm. so that over the summer they don't have to go hungry. Um, you know, we do stuff in the center with helping kids um, who you know helping them learn to volunteer too. I mean, one thing I've learned, you know, I lost my husband last year and I learned that the way that you get through tough times is you give back. Hmm. And I am amazed by the way that our members give wow. back. Um, when they, sometimes they don't have a lot to give. 
um, but they understand the the importance of community mm-hmm. in building and helping one another out. And they understand the importance of they might be in that same spot. Our industry is cyclical, right? Sure. Right now we're suffering layoffs. And I've watched workers do amazing things to help other workers. Right. Yeah, you know, we, we've said 48% of the people that come to our network of pantries and shelters and soup kitchens and even schools um, are employed. And so that's not quite half, but getting closer and closer to half. And there's so many reasons for that dynamic. And, and yet... A lot of these same people are helping and they're volunteering and they're asking what can they do if they still need some help to make ends meet. They still want to do something. And that story's not told enough. How many people who are getting assistance are actually then turning around and helping other people in whatever way they can? And it needs to be told. And I think it also needs, I mean, one of the things that is so discouraging right now even raising 14 year old boys is this sort of division in this country and this hatred this this belief that everybody who collects food stamp is just milking the system or this belief that if you didn't pay your water bill you're pocketing the money there are of course there's exceptions you're always going to have one person or you know a handful of people out there who aren't um you know doing what they should do but that's not the norm 48 percent of people people don't know that that are working collecting food stamps and so i think it's so important to talk about that i think it's so important to remind people that we don't need to fight amongst each other um, you know it, it because I have right. something doesn't mean that you can't we right. uh, we've done this in this country before we all can do better and do well and I just got to say it is really pretty disgusting that it's 48% of the people are working and I bet many of those companies who are employing those workers are making really huge profits and that's the discussion we have to have, too. If a company yeah. is making, you know, if the CEO is making 10 and 15 million, yet workers are making 12, we have a problem that really needs to be discussed because that, that's never going to work. Right. Well, I, talk, I think about my dad who um, worked in the paper mill industry. And when, when he was working and I was, I'm the youngest, and when I was being raised, the CEO of the company made 50, 55 times more than what the guy on the floor did now what is that today it's like 300 and some percent yeah, I don't know the latest times more, more than what the guy on the floor is making that's the discussion so here hard. I have a new I have a new policy if you're paying somebody if 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 a CEO is making 350 times that of the average worker but their workers are not making enough to not end up in a food stamp line then they should have to subsidize that worker <laughs> wages would be away but like really um that's that yeah. well that people don't point, want to talk about that because they want to talk about well it's competitiveness and this is the way the world is you know i want to believe okay this might be the way the world is but how do we change it i don't you know i don't want to talk about how i exist in the system that is because it's not working how do we create a different system well you know i i got to put the cookies on the lower shelf for me so i can understand it and i understand that a chain is only as strong as its weakest link so, you know, that, that's really the, the hard conversation we have to have to say at some point there's, there's, there becomes a moral question here. That's right. And those are hard conversations. But that's why we're doing this show is so that we can change the conversation. And in order to do that, we have to be able to have hard conversations. I agree. And I, and, and I just have this belief that the more we have it, more people are going to step up 
and not say, Cindy, I, you know, I have a lot of people, a lot of companies, a lot of CEOs who say they agree with my philosophy, but you know, how do we do that? Because we have this competitive workforce, we have these shareholders, we have these buybacks, we have this, and and I know that's real. That is something they face, but. Um, but I got to believe that if we have this conversation where people are going to step up and we're going to figure that out. Yeah. Well, I, I do know the opposite of that is true, that if we don't have these hard conversations about all of these things that we're talking about today here on Food for Thought, that nothing will change. It'll right. only get worse. Well, it will, it change. will change. It will just get worse. More hatred, more division in the country, right. more of the things that I just don't want my kids to experience. I mean, they are seeing... Um, just this lack of empathy and it right. scares me as a parent mm-hmm. that um, that is what's happening right now in this moment and I think we have to be real about that what happens when we create a whole generation of kids who you know want to blame the immigrant or want to blame the person in the inner city or want to blame the person who's walking into a food stamp line that our society will change and I see I, I want to have a generation who care and have yeah. empathy and want to solve that problem. Well, I think it is a, a much larger question. And what kind of society do we want to live in? What kind of, um, of, of, of culture do we want to have? And the other side of that is, um, and I, I would have to quote uh, President Obama in this, and that, you know, we are the answer to this problem. That's right. There's not a, nobody else is coming. And, and the good news is, it is within our power why not us? Why not now to mold and shape this into the way that we all believe and want it to be? And I want to just throw another thing at this, and that is, you know, Cindy, once again, you are in the business of listening and molding and shaping this conversation in a very significant way. And so it's a, it really is a, an honor for us to have you here talking about this from somebody who's been at this for a long time. And Uh, seeing some things change that haven't changed for the better, but still standing in that breach and saying, it's not the end. We can make this better. We can see this move forward. But we have to be honest about what the issues really are. We have to be honest about what people actually see, no matter where they're standing on the spectrum, whether it's the top or the bottom. They have a perspective that we have to understand and appreciate in order to really move this issue forward. And a lot of the people you're seeing look looking from the bottom up are saying that does not make sense to us. And so we've got to be able to address that perception because to a certain degree, perception is reality. Well, I think we also have to, the people who have the power to change this, right? I think we also have to, they should be feeling uncomfortable right now. I, I meet a lot of great people who are giving a lot of money, companies to food banks, and that is wonderful. But I want them to feel uncomfortable because that is not solving the issue. And I don't think, I, you know, I've changed the most of my life when I felt the worst and the most uncomfortable. And I think there's, you know, we have, that uncomfort has to be there. Um, people have to feel a little icky about this. It's not enough. I mean, you know, through the UAW GM Center, we give a lot of money to, to, to food banks or we give a lot of money to organizations. And we should pat ourselves on the back that's great but that's not enough that's not solving the issue and i'm and i don't feel good about i feel i i want to feel i want to make everyone feel uncomfortable about this to change it (laughs) so we say here on the show on food for thought the first responsibility of leadership is to define reality and that's what we're doing the second is the true test of leadership is to create positive change i like that and i think that is 
the challenge that is before us. And the third one is to have people around us to challenge us when we're not doing those two. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm lucky to have a lot of people like that. <laughs> we, we are as well. Jerry, how about a last word here? You know, I... It's it, As we head into this holiday season, and we know it is a season of giving, um, I think it's really important for, for all of us to reflect that one of the easiest things we can give is an ear to someone we haven't listened to before. I love that. And so, and it doesn't cost anything but a little bit of time and a little bit of willingness to say, maybe there's something beside my perspective which can deepen me, strengthen me, make me a better person. And in finding the easiest thing to change is what's in our own heart. So maybe if we give a little bit to that as we're looking at this holiday season and what we can give, we can find a way to bridge these divides that we have and really come up with the solutions that are going to be impactful. Awesome. I love that. Thank Cindy, you. Thank for you being, very much. Thanks for being with us. Great, great, great to have you. Let's continue the conversation. Let's do that. We appreciate you. This is uh, Dr. Phil Knight. This is Food for Thought on WJR. We'll be back in a little bit. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Thanks for listening, everyone. It's Food for Thought. Jerry Brisson, quite the conversation with Cindy Estrada, the Vice President, Director of UAW General Motors. I'll tell you, the only thing I wish for you listening right now is that you could see Cindy's face. Because she's not only a delightful person, but she so the passion is there. Her 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 deep deep care for the people that she's worked with most of her life is so evident in her face. And so I I, I wish you could see it. I'm trying to do what I can for you so you could appreciate her the way we do. Um, she has spent her life helping people in a way that she knows has made a difference. And in spite of the fact that there have been big challenges for labor unions. And, and among the people she serves for economic reasons and globalization reasons and things well outside her control. And yet she comes to work every day and continues to fight for people in a way that she believes passionately needs to be done so that our community can be better. And let me just say, I hardly know anybody that wants this community to be better more than Cindy. She's amazing. So, you know, the, the key word you use there is passion. I'm going to throw another word at you that that. I think reflects her as well, and that's intellect. She knows her stuff. No question. And knows it well. And it's not just like, uh, it's just not from, there's a moral perspective to this, and we touched on it in the conversation, and we should have that conversation, right? But there's also uh, research and data and, and, and studies, and she knows those things, and she understands those. But she has the ability to take all that knowledge, that intellect, that passion, and and then tell you the story about the person in her local <coughs> that's not only giving their time, but also struggling with the very issues that she's trying to fix on yeah. their behalf. No question. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about the five things that we have to have mm -hmm. in order for the blueprint to end hunger to be successful. And one of those things is that we can show that the impact of solving hunger can be proven to improve our community in clear and compelling ways. There right. is no greater way or place to prove that than in the environments of the working families. I mean, right. working families need a little bit 
to be successful. And we know that that there's ways that we can bring solutions to them and they don't need more help. The fact of the matter is they want to work. They're already doing the right things. They've gotten the job training. They've gotten the education. They're in a job. It's just that job isn't enough for them to make ends meet for their household. So with a little bit of more thought, the clear and compelling difference that can be made for that community is right in front of us. Well, I really appreciate that perspective because if it's not helping the communities and it's not helping the families in those communities and why right and and you cannot solve this problem without considering the people that are nearly at the solution right now i love the thought she said the the democratic process has a place in these conversations like it does in the electoral process great thought yeah we're gonna have to unpack that on another show we will but it you know we 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 also kind of ended that conversation talking about listening yeah and that one of the most important things we can give right now is listening to someone whose opinion might not be the same as ours and really understanding that for what it is and i think that again in her work and in our work in so many ways we're bringing together these voices it's how we're changing the conversation by knowing Everybody that we work with, these smart people, these capable people from these different points of view, want this problem to be solved and want it to be solved well. Great recap, Jerry. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. Time for a little food for thought. The Lone Ranger had Tonto. Batman had Robin. Even Superman had his human sidekicks. And I recognize that the bigger the dream, the larger the vision... The more smart, motivated, talented people you better have around you. And that's what this show's all about. Nothing of significant ever happens alone. And as I've said before, one is too small of a number to multiply. So together, we are not simply adding, we are multiplying our influence to build the momentum and the insight necessary to move this needle of food security across our state. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, he's Jerry Brisson, and on behalf of us, thank you for listening and reminding you can catch up to all of our shows at foodsecuremichigan.org. And until next week, remember, food first, folks, food first. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.